in your experience as a pastor, what would you say is the number one reason or number one reasons why persons may feel um, not connected to a body as to, to be a part of that shared ministry? Um, and I'm sure this is, mm -hmm. you know, a problem, I mean, I like a challenge, I should say, every yeah. church yeah. that has um, some, you know, from one um, gamut to another, sure. this issue. So what would you say? It's a very good question. And since you just said number one, I, I think there are many, but I would say number one is the air that we breathe. The air that we breathe is an air of individualism. It's all around. You know, people talk about, you know, get your brand. You have to do you. Everything is you, you, me, me, I. We're just egocentric. We, we are just centered on ourselves. And so um, we, and I think it's part of brokenness as well. Um, when we are together, when we share together, when we come into close proximity together, we can know and be known. I think a lot of times we don't want to be together. So we don't want to be known. And so we hide. We see with Adam and Eve, when sin came in, it was every man for himself, blaming and, and separation. And so I really think if I had to choose one, it would be that that's the air that we breathe. That's our default. Our natural inclination is to be separated and to center on ourselves. That, that's, that, that's what I think about that. Um, I'll add one more part to it. The gospel is always calling us back to what we should have been in the first place. So, for example, when we, we were looking at Ephesians chapter 6, and we looked at how husbands and wives were to be, um, how they were called to treat one another. That's what they were supposed to be doing from the beginning. The inverted relationship where a wife is now usurping, wanting to usurp the position of her husband, a husband now wanting to dominate his wife, and Paul is saying, submit to your husband, love your wife, that's taking them back to before the fall. That's the way it was supposed to have been. And so without sin, there is this community that we have. So when we come to Christ, we have to remember that now that is a call no longer to be in isolation as an individual, but it's now to be joined together with the people of God and no one be known, and no one be known. Um, one of the things that really glues us together, whether it is in a marriage, whether it is in a church, it is to share life together and open our hearts together. There, there are some people who could walk away from a relationship because they lose nothing, because they gave nothing into it. But when you open and bear your soul, when you join your life to another person, that's a costly departure because you'll be leaving a part of yourself in that. And so I think we invest in relationships by giving of ourselves into them and, and, and truly having this joining that, that really keeps us together, that helps us to endure the um, storms, the difficulties, the trials, all of those things. A lot of times people withhold the very thing that's needed to keep the relationship together, whether it's, it's in a church, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a business and partners are together. The very thing they, they withhold is the very thing that's needed as the 
glue to really keep that together. And so I do think that we really need to um, recognize the need to divest ourselves, to invest ourselves. Um, and there's risk involved. I mean, th there is no true love without vulnerability and risk. And that's all a part of the community of God. Um, in marriage, it is a commitment to a sinner, a fellow sinner. In the church, it's a commitment to sinners as well. We are, we are saved sinners. We still sin. Um, but uh, I think that's the number one issue. Anyone else? All right. Um, thanks, Pastor. Um, last week when you uh, taught on the full armor of God, mm -hmm. um, can you provide even um, some more practical ways in which when we, when we talk about the helmet of salvation, how we ought to remember what that is and how, how do we, we fight or place on this armor of God? Because sometimes there's a lot of people, you know, binding the devil and casting out and, and all these things, but uh, how do we as Christians uh, be able to do this and, and have that balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, I think you'd all agree with me. If words could bind the devil, he would have been bound a long time. And I remember when it began to dawn on me, and I was a part of a church where we bound the devil a lot. Um, and it dawned on me one day, you know, how long does a binding last? You know, it didn't seem to last long. Um, and so I began to be awakened to, I began to be awakened to that. I think when we think about it, um, Paul was using some kind of analogy of a soldier of sorts when he was talking about this armor. So think of a motorbike rider. The most important thing the law says to the motorbike rider is protect your head. It's the most vital part of the body to be protected. So I think that, speak to us, that speaks to us as well, that there's something that, if we can translate that into the spiritual as well, it's kind of like we are to protect the head of our spiritual life in this ongoing battle that we are in. And so when we think about how the Bible says salvation is that helmet, what we need to be doing is we need to be thinking about and meditating about salvation, what it provides for us, the protection that it, that it, that it gives to us. And really, I think it is in the meditation of that that we kind of like build a helmet of protection um, for our spiritual lives. So, for example, I mean, let's, we could just go to, go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 talks about the enduring nature of our salvation, where Paul tells us that there's nothing that we endure in this life. So he starts it in verse 31, and he ends it in uh, 39. There's nothing we endure in this life that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so we could take that on. We could, we could meditate on that and realize, that, you know what, nothing that we face in this life it's going to affect our salvation. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Paul is giving a list of things in this passage, and he gets down to the end in verse 37. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
And I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I think what we have to do when we think about this, about salvation protecting the most vital part of our spiritual life, it, it needs to be in meditation, but it also needs to be in the moment. What we're doing right now, memorizing scripture, so we think of it like this. Um, maybe the enemy is just bombarding um, your mind. And our constitutions are different, so there are people who struggle with doubt, for example. There are people who would read and they would hear that nothing separates them from God's love and that no one can pluck them out of God's hands, but they still struggle in believing that they are eternally secure in God. Um, and so I think wherever we find ourselves being attacked or struggling in the moment, we need to appropriate God's word and just be building that, that helmet of salvation, protecting against wherever that attack um, is, is coming from. So I think, Ed, that it's, it's multifaceted, but the whole idea is to try to appropriate the benefit of salvation and, and that is really where the protection comes. And you know, you think about it, right? Though we talk about the helmet of salvation, this is in our heart. This, this is deep within our soul where this conviction really comes in. Um, and so I think that is the, that's probably the best way that I could, I could think of that. I, I would say practically speaking as well, one, one of the ways that helps me is I, I, I sing hymns. I, I feed my soul in that way. Um, I was trying to think. Uh, there was a I'm trying. There was a hymn I've been singing uh, more recently. But one 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 that stays with me is the hymn, "Whatever My God Ordains Is Right." Um, that just, it just covers so many, many broad things. And I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that whatever my lot is in any day, that is a God-ordained lot. It may have darkness, it may have trial, it may have difficulty and despair and all the other things. It is a God-ordained lot. And I know that one of the ways that God uses those circumstances is to drive us to him and to, to really bring us to him. So I think um, practically it is meditating on God's word and then appropriating God's word in an ongoing way, but especially in the moment um, with that. So let's say, for example, maybe the enemy is attacking you about past failures, past sins. Um, I think we all know what it is to confess what God's word says, that when we confess our sins, he is faithful, just to forgive us, but we're still languishing in guilt and shame and condemnation, all the other things. The only thing we can do is, again, get to God's word and uphold that, renew that in our hearts, and, and, and build that helmet to protect against those um, debilitating doubts and um, the attacks of the enemy to really push us down. So... I, I think that's the way I would respond to that. Is that helpful? Yes, thank you. Yeah, okay. 
Anyone else? Sure. Yeah, I think that's one of the most forged scriptures in the Bible. You know, forgery, you take it and you use it for a purpose it wasn't intended for. That's a, that's, that's a forgery. And so if we go there in Matthew 18, um, one of the locations of it, um, So the context of it is a brother sinning, and so I'll read it. If your brother sins against you, Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. If a brother sins against you and he sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or an unbeliever and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Essentially what the Lord is saying right there is when the church operates in this way, when the church is exercising discipline, heaven supports it. Heaven supports it. Now, in this particular situation, um, when you think of binding and loosing, it could very well be that in a church discipline situation where a dispute comes to the church, it may be that the church may say to the one bringing the accusation, no, we see nothing of merit in what you're saying here. So the situation is loosed in a sense. Or it may be enforced in a sense against that person to say, we do see merit in this, and so um, you need to repent, and you need to do what is right as a believer. So. All it's simply saying is that heaven will support what the church does in this situation where it is rightly administering um, church discipline. But to lift this scripture from here and to go and start applying it all over the place, I bind this and I bind that. I bind the prime minister from doing this and doing that. I mean, that's a forgery. That, 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 that's taking it out of the place where it didn't belong. Now, there's another one that comes to mind um, right over in chapter 16 where Peter had the great revelation of who Jesus is. And Jesus then says to Peter in verse 18, um, <clears throat> he says to him, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, the revelation that you just had, 
I will build my church and the, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's what's interesting. The you there is to who? It's to Peter. To take that and say, well, he did that to every single person, um, it would make no sense for him to give Peter any keys because if he's given it to every single person. So he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be loose, shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, there's a lot of debate around that in, in terms of what it means, and um, I'm not sure that it is necessary to come to the certain conviction about what that means to conclude what it doesn't mean. What we know it doesn't mean is that Peter then had a license to go and do all manner of, of things. Um, but even if one thought that, that's Peter. That, you can't take that to the whole, to the whole, um, to the whole church. And so I think not only is it unbiblical, but the mere fact that people are just beating their gum and just talking should be evidence enough that somehow you got that wrong, what you're doing. Because again, if talk could bind the devil, he would have been bound a long time. But the Bible tells us that there's coming a time when um, Satan will be, will be bound. And, and maybe I should even rephrase that because there is a sense that Satan is bound even now. And what I mean by that is Satan is not the same today as he was before Calvary. And the Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us that in the cross, Jesus defeated Satan. So Satan after Calvary is not the same Satan before Calvary. The, the sway that he had over the nations, he doesn't have that sway over the nations. Um, there's a passage that is easily overlooked. When Jesus was beginning his ministry, this is in, this is in um, Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus begins his ministry, Matthew says this in verse 14. He says, so that, it, so that what was spoken of the prophet Isaiah may be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light and those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them a light has dawned. Satan had a sway over the nations prior to Christ's coming that he no longer has over the nations. And that's one of the reasons that the gospel is going forward. Um, and, and one of the interpretations of um, that passage in Revelation 20, where it talks about Satan being, a, being bound a thousand years, is that that thousand years is just a very long period um, not literally a thousand years, and that that began when Jesus came down. When you read the language in um, Revelation 20, he talks about a mighty angel coming down, having the keys um, to 
death and hell, and he bound the devil uh, for a thousand years. Um, th there's a particular interpretation that I think has a lot of merit, and, and I would agree with it, that the vision that John had was really a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did to Satan when he came down. On, his, uh, on the cross, that he defeated Satan, and so Satan is a defeated and a restricted foe, and though he is not finally defeated, the sway that he has over the nations and the sway that he has um, over the people of God is, is not the same as he had um, prior to that. And so there, there is no warrant in people going around and saying, I, you know, I bind this or I bind that. Um, just this week, there's a young man who I'm a friend with on Facebook, a very godly young man, but misguided in a lot of ways. He picks up on all kinds of things. And so this one guy who used to be a pastor but now says he's a coach, um, he put up this thing, and yeah, he used, he used to be pastor, now he's, I'm coach. Um, and he puts this thing up and says, repeat after me. This weekend is going to be the best weekend of my life. And you should see the post. I mean, dozens of people repeat, just ditto, 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 repeating after I'm thinking, what craziness is this? And so I saw this guy repeating it. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a bit wiser on Facebook now because I realize when you pick a lot of fights on Facebook, you just stay there fighting all day. And so I, don't, I try not to pick fights as much. So I private messaged him, and I said, I, I noticed that you responded to this post, and you said that, you know, it's going to be the best. I said, you realize that for some of the people saying this could be the best weekend of life, this could be, the this could be some of their worst weekend. Some of them could die this weekend. Some horrible things that happen to them because it's not in your hands and it's not in your mouth. I mean, imagine that, that we could just say it's going to be. I mean, if you could do that, speak money into your bank account. I mean, speak. You can live forever. Speak whatever you want to speak. It, it, it is humanism. It is unvarnished humanism. And so I was just encouraging him. I said, you know, God is sovereign. And he, and he uses pain. I mean, God uses pain and suffering in our lives to build us, to shape us for his purposes. Last night we were looking at, Brother Kelly um, read a passage out of 2 Timothy chapter 4. And how Paul is lamenting, he's saying how Demas forsook him and how um, Alexander the coppersmith did him much harm and how when he was going on trial, he said, no one stood with me. He said, but the Lord was with me. And I, I, I read that and I thought, wow, I said, as hard as that was for Paul, God is using it for good for us, that we could be encouraged to know that no matter what you go through, the Lord will be with you. He will be on your side. He will not forsake you. Hard for Paul, but good for us. And so God works in all things. And because he is God, he can work in good things and, and bad things and hard things, and he can use them for our good. And so there is no warrant. There is no biblical warrant for um, walking around and binding the devil and loosing this and all the other stuff. It's just an exercise in futility. And um, you would think that people have been doing it long enough that they would stop it. 
I remembered when Hurricane Dorian was coming. All these people were, you know, they're doing, doing. I was like, what, what are you all doing? What are you all doing? It's in a vacuum because you don't want the hurricane to come. You, you send the hurricane over. Why do you send it over there? If, if you have the power to, to send it over there, tell it to just go away and go nowhere. And it's just so yucky shit. That, that's a hot button with me. I'm sorry. But, um, yeah, it, it doesn't mean that. Okay? So I hope you see the way I believe we should approach these scriptures. It isn't sometimes important in the moment to know what a scripture means. It is important to know what it does not mean. You can rule that out right away. So whatever you want to make, the Roman Catholics have a view of Romans 16 and, I mean, of Matthew 16. There are all kinds of different views about it, what it means with Peter having these keys. What it doesn't mean is that any person could go in there and grab a hold of that and say, now I start binding all these different, different things. There's no warrant for it, and it doesn't happen. Um, <clears throat> all right. It's my best response on that one, Keisha. Anyone else? The question I was going to ask is very similar to Keisha's question. Mm -hmm. I think you may have already answered it. Uh, two things I, I hear a lot lately is, one, when things don't go as planned or exactly how the person expects it to go, they would say, oh, the devil this and the devil that. And sounds to me like the devil is being praised a lot mm -hmm. by doing that. And the second thing I've been hearing, too, is I declare and I decree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Again, just, just verbal exercise. That's all that is. Verbal exercise. I decree and declare this and that and all kinds of things. And sounds good, but uh, the Lord is sovereign and we we trust him in in all things. Um, wh what I would say about when things happen, we actually have examples of both. Let me show you one. I think in Romans, let's see. Uh, okay. Romans chapter 1 and verse 13. Paul writes to the church, and he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. Now, he's saying I've been hindered. Who hindered him? He doesn't say, but he's been hindered. Um, there's another... example. If someone can help me, I, I, I'll search it in a second, but there's another time where Paul says Satan hindered him. If someone can search that for me. Um, uh, but in
Yeah, in um, Acts chapter 16, and verse 6, this is Paul and his comrades. He says, um, Luke is writing, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Who forbid them? The Holy Spirit. Now, how did they know the Holy Spirit forbid them? I believe it is by discernment. It is by um, having discernment that this is the Holy Spirit. Not, oh, Satan, you know, you're the one doing this. You're the, you're the you know, I bind you and we decree and declare that we're going to go anyway. No, none of that. Um, they they um, discerned that it was the Holy Spirit who was telling them not to go to, not to go to Asia. And then in the circumstances of things, they saw the Spirit was leading them to Macedonia, and that's where they actually went. Anyone found that scripture I was referring to? First Thessalonians 2.18. First Thessalonians 2.18. So Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, and he says to them, um, because I, we wanted to come to see you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. And see, this is why we need discernment. You, you cannot just see some situation that happens, things not going the way that you want it to go. And immediately, that's the devil. No, could be the Holy Spirit. Could be the Holy Spirit. Could be God. Um, and, and sometimes it can actually be um, some kind of a satanic resistance. And so what do we do when we have the sense? Well, but first of all, I think what this requires of us is to pray. It requires of us to pray, Lord, help me to understand what is going on and how I should re respond. Not just to start rattling off, I decree and declare. You could be decreeing and declare against the Holy Spirit. Um, so it takes, it, it takes discernment. And what we saw in the Acts passage is Paul obviously talked to his comrades who said, we, we discerned um, that the Spirit did not want us to go to... Um, to Asia, and then towards the end of that passage, he said, we discerned he wanted us to go to Macedonia. Because Paul had a dream that night. There was this man in Macedonia who said, come over and help us. And they concluded, God wants us to go to Macedonia. And so I think uh, when we, going right back to what we looked at last week in terms of spiritual warfare, it takes discernment. And we are naive if we, if, if the extent of our um, understanding is everything negative is the devil and everything positive is God. If, if that's the extent of understanding, we have no understanding. There are some situations that can look very positive and it can be Satan transforming himself as an angel of light so we need discernment there. And then there are some situations that aren't going our way that could be negative and we need to discern 
you know, what is the impulse of this? So certainly if the spirit is hindering us, we cooperate with the spirit. If we discern that it is the enemy who is opposing us, by the grace of God, we press forward and we trust the Lord in that. And so there is no simple answer to every single situation. It's a case-by-case basis. We need to stay close to the Lord and to brothers and sisters, and we need to discern what the Lord is actually saying and doing. Um, the good thing, though, is that God is able to use it all. So let's take, for example, maybe a conflict at work. A conflict at work, it's so easy just to focus on the conflict and try to think about how we go deal with this or deal with that without stepping back and trying to see how God wants to use that and work in that and that we cooperate with his purposes instead of with the enemy's purposes. And the reality is that in situations we face, there are these dual purposes at work. So you read the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs talks about folly sitting on, this, on, the, on the street corner in the high places, but also says wisdom sits there too. And so when we're going about living our life, there's wisdom calling to us, there's folly calling to us. And so we have to have discernment to know um, which way we ought to go. Yeah, but um, the decree and declare one is very similar to the um, bind and loose one. Um, and we can trust the Lord. I mean, the idea that somehow we can have God going like this based on what we do or not, it's just... That's not the God of the Bible. He's sovereign. Um, we want to follow his lead. We don't want to give him our lead. Say, do this and do that and go here and go there. We, we follow his lead. Okay, we have time for one more. Hi, Pastor. Hey. Um, I know in your message, you, well, when you stood up there a few moments ago, you said something about the fact that a lot of times when persons, when they don't want to fellowship, it sometimes has to do with separation from God, um, the way that Adam and Eve was. And you spoke about the fact that mm -hmm. Adam and Eve, it was always supposed to have been fellowship. It should have never been a separation. Um, so I think in some cases, and, I, and you could tell me if I'm wrong in this, where you may have some situations where persons may feel uh, disconnected from God, and then there are others that they feel vulnerable, they feel that if they become too close or get too close to persons that somehow people are gonna find out things and, and we all carry stuff, we are, none of us are perfect. Um, so how do we as a body identify, well I mean it's easy to identify these persons, but what do we do to in, let these persons know that hey, you're safe? Um, how do we now get them to a place of understanding that we're in this together, as you mentioned, and we all have a responsibility to carry the Great Commission? Mm -hmm. That's a good, quick, great question. I mean, all the questions have been great. Um, I think the first thing I would say is we need to be patient. We need to be patient with one another. Um, we all have different constitutions. God made us differently. So some of us warm up to people faster. We make friends faster. You can go back on our lives and see that. And then we've had experiences uh, along the way, as you, as you mentioned. There have been betrayals. So sometimes people are more reluctant to trust in 
in, in relationships. And so we have to factor all those in mind. We have to be patient with people and really bring them along. I think the first thing to remember is that we will not all enjoy the same levels of friendship and closeness with everyone in the church. Um, that's no different. I mean, even in families. You realize in families, you could find siblings that are tighter than you know, with, with the others for any number of different reasons. Um, there, there's chemistry. There, there are things that really uh, join us to particular people. You think of David and Jonathan. That was unique. Didn't have that with everybody else. And so I think we should all desire um, close relationships. It should be a matter of prayer. Um, there needs to be some initiative on our part, some, some level of taking some degree of risk as we seek to build relationships. But I don't believe that true fellowship and um, being a part of a body necessarily means that we share the same degree of intimacy and closeness with every single person. Um, we just want to be prayerful for the Lord to lead us into those relationships. You know, just the other day, um, I was praying for my daughter Abigail. She's going to be going to a new school. And my prayer was, Lord, would you give her friends? Would you bring friends into a life that would be for her good, that would help her to grow and um, get really connected to a group of believers and uh, help her on the journey? And so that, that's not everybody. That's not a whole bunch of people. It's really just um, some select people. And I think we all know that we cannot be close with every single person, but we, we do need a band of brothers and sisters. And we just need to be praying, asking the Lord to um, bring us to them, bring them to us, uh, to, join, to join our lives uh, together. Um, there's a book in the bookstore called Side by Side. We studied this book in our um, care groups, when they were care groups, a number of years ago. It's a wonderful book. Um, it talks about how we build, how we come side by side with other people, with all the realities of what it means to live in a broken and a fallen world, with people who have been um, betrayed in relationships, um, and are learning to trust again. It's a wonderful book. There's also another resource that comes to mind, and this would be maybe about five years ago. I don't know if any of you remember, we had an issue of Table Talk that dealt with shame. The, the, the title of it was Shame. That's all it dealt with. Wonderful. Because one of the, one of the things about shame is that when we think of things in our past, expressions of our fallenness, our brokenness, um, we have to come to grips with shame. And the way we come to grips with shame is to realize that Christ died for our shame as well, not just for our sins. And he wants to set us free, not just from our sins, but also from our shame. And that's why the Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed, not just from sins, but from shame. And that book is also a wonderful and a helpful resource um, that helps us to 
come to grips with shame. Because one of the realities about shame is that we don't even want to, in our own private space and in our minds, think about our shame because it brings shame. So we just want to think happy thoughts. On, but the gospel calls us to bring our shame to Christ um, and to receive the same freedom from our shame that Christ gives from our sins so that we're not identified by our sins, we're not identified by the shame attached to those, those sins. Yes, they're part of our past, but they don't define us. They're not who we, who we really are. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you just get on a soapbox and start to broadcast your life to the world. It doesn't mean that at all. But what it means is that we are postured that as we do life together, as we connect and build relationships, that, that, that there may be moments where there are individuals who we are able to open our lives to. And we feel no shame because we've been set free from from that particular um, shame and the sin attached to that shame. And so I think the best way I can say that, Patricia, is what you shouldn't, what, what none of us should feel, what none of us should feel is that there is this mandate or there is this command that we must go and bear our souls to and our lives to every single person. I, I don't think that's what it is at, at, at all. Um, we can enjoy fellowship and community with, with others without every single thing being known to every single one. But it is a wonderful thing to be able to have brothers and sisters um, who we can let into the bedroom of our lives. And you can think of it like this. You know, we have people, they're kind of like, in the old days, some of you remember this, how you used to have neighbors who would come to the house and they would stand outside the fence and they'd talk to your parents, talk to them in, in the fence. Then you had some who come in the yard, talk to them. Then you had some who came in the house, in the living room, you talk to them. Some who come in the kitchen. And then there's some who go in the bedroom. And those are all different levels of relationships. And so we just need to be um, prayerful and discerning about these are the street, these in the yard, these in the living room, these in the kitchen, these in the bedroom, um, and allow the Lord to really lead us um, so in those. The message is, is that what basically just like you said, um, being having the wisdom and being able to discern who to open to, but in, in it, we still ought to love, still love. Uh, absolutely, yeah, there's a, there, there is a, there is a, foundational level of community and sharing that we should all have. And then above that foundation, you're going to have it differing based on the different relationships. A lot of it, some of it is just the providence of God, the way the Lord joins us to people. Um, and you can think of it like even going back to primary school perhaps. There was one or two persons who just providentially you just connected with on a job. You just connect with. In a church, I think it's the same thing. Um, but there needs to be a shared sense of community with all of the people of God. That's, that's a common denominator. And then above that, we trust the Lord to help us with, with those, with those um, relationships. I think one of the lessons we should all learn 
um, about being confidential and protecting people is when we see the damage it brings when there's betrayal. Um, it's, it, it's a painful thing. And so we, we must be very protective of one another and we must um, consider it a rare treasure when a person does open up their life in that way. That is not something to take lightly and it's not something to deal with flippantly and um, to betray in, in any way. So great questions. I'm sorry I couldn't be more um, specific, but hopefully those principles um, are helpful. All right, I did say that was the last one, but I'm generous. So if there's one more, this would be the really, really last one. Yes, Jennifer. question, this is more in the line of name it, claim it, whatever. The scripture in Proverbs 18.21 that talks about death and life are in the power of the tongue. Mm -hmm. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So as I was listening to you earlier, when you say uh, Where's that again, Jennifer? Give me the, the reference. Proverbs 18.21. Uh -huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Mm -hmm. So when we talked or were discussing earlier about speaking certain things, and it's just talk, mm -hmm. how does this scripture relate to that? Yes, good, good question. It's a good question because I think the question gets at how we need to see the Proverbs. Proverbs are not promises. They're principles. So, for example, one that we've heard quite a bit. Train up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. Is that a promise or is that a principle? That's no, a principle. It's a principle that, that it, it generally holds true. Um, but it is not a promise that if we do exactly this, we will get exactly that. Um, it's, it's a guiding principle. Um, I think what this proverb, <clears throat> what, what this proverb is, is speaking to, is, is, is telling us, is that we need to be mindful of our speech. So, so for example, um, if I, I may, I may use my speech to berate Alexi and, um, and just, just beat her with my words. That's not wise to do that. It's not wise to do that. I, I'm going to get the fruit of that in terms of me berating her in that way, as well as I could use it for good and encouraging her and blessing her. And, and I will eat the fruit of that as well. But let's think of it this way. 
Imagine a world, imagine a world where our life was dependent on our words. None of us would want to live in that. I mean, there, if you take that view, what you have done is you've removed the sovereign God. You've removed the sovereign God who acts in spite of our words, in spite of our foolishness and all the other kinds of things that we do. Thank God that he doesn't leave us just to the whim of, of our words. So I think this is speaking here about um, a principle in terms of how we are to use our words for good, but I don't think it is, it is saying that, um, well, I'll say it this way. I don't think that you can come to, the, to this verse and walk away saying, this means that what I could do is I could just speak and have what I say. It, it, it's, not that, it's not that at all. Um, so if we, yeah, um, if we look at it in, in context, this is really just um, telling us that this is a principle. Um, we, we are able to use our lips for good or for ill, and, um, and, we, and we'll have the fruit of that. But I think that's in the limited sense of our interactions with people. I mean, I think we all know this. We all know that we can, that, that we can, I heard one guy say that, um, talking about one woman, he said that this woman's tongue should have been licensed as a concealed weapon, you know, um, because of how dangerous her words were when she actually spoke, how she can cut with her words. Um, and so I think it speaks more to that that we can have, our words can build up and our words can destroy. I think that's the extent of it that we can establish with that. So if we were to think about Proverbs 18, 20, and 21, I think the boundaries around these verses speaks in the area of um, how we use our, our words to, to bless or to curse and to harm or to do good and how we can have the fruit of that or we will have the fruit of that as a result of how we use our words. But I, but I don't believe at all, not a hint of these verses give any warrant to go around and saying, well, I even speak just positive things and all that kind of stuff. You know, um, when I was young, I tried that to avoid a beating and it didn't work. I was positive. I still got beaten. Um, yeah, so that's my, <laughs> that's my best attempt on that one, Jennifer. You got to follow up. No, I just, I thought about this scripture in relation to, like, when people are sick, a lot of people say, speak life, you know, and death and life is in the power of the tongue. So we're not going to, we don't want anybody around us, like if somebody is in the hospital and, you know, they're ailing. We don't want anybody around us who isn't going to speak life. Okay. We, doesn't, we don't want any negativity because if we speak life, death and life is in the power of the tongue. Yeah, it, it doesn't go that far. It doesn't go that far. I mean, you think about that, right? Here's a, here's a, sick, person, a sick person in the hospital, 
And do you really think that a sovereign God is going to leave that person to the whim and fancy of the people who walk in that room and what they say or don't say? If the sovereign God has determined that that person is going to die, no amount of positive words can change that. If the sovereign Lord has determined that that person is going to live, no amount of negative words are going to change that. And so I, I think people make too much of that. And I've heard people say it, and it's a good example that you raise. Uh, speak positive, speak positive. That's humanism. That's humanism. We put our faith in God, and he has a will. He has a will. I mean, the, the people who really think that, like, God has a neutral, you know, you have your car neutral and go and drive a reverse, that that's God's posture. He's a neutral. And if you're positive, well, then he go this way. If you're negative, then he go this way. That's a yo-yo. That's not God. God has a will. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And so we don't need to be superstitious. We don't need to um, get into think positive, be positive, and all the other kinds of things. I know, practically speaking, um, let's say that a friend just lost his or her job. I mean, yeah, we want to go there and try to encourage them, and so we'd want to be careful. We want to say, oh, you know, you caused that, right? <laughs> um, you, you don't want to go and, and say that in that moment. You may talk to them later and say, well, you know, hey, you realize that you may have contributed to that. But I think we all need wisdom. There's a proverb that says that words spoken, fitting words spoken in the moment, is like a, 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 what is that, a treasure of apples or something like that. But it talks about speaking fitting words to fit the moment. And we have to be able to do that. But brothers and sisters, if we are really living our lives really believing in positivity and negativity, and I must speak this, I speak that. We really know better than the humanists. We know better than the person who's working obia or practicing voodoo because that's what they really believe, that they can do those kinds of things. We serve a sovereign God who works in all things, including bad things. And, and that's why, like Job, we, we can, in the midst of Great losses say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, Job is a wonderful example for us. In all the calamity that he faced, his mind first went to God, not the devil. But for a lot of us, our first thought is the devil. Job's first thought was, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so let's use the Proverbs as principles, because that's what they are. That's what a proverb is. It's a principle, not a promise. Um, and I think if we do that, we will rightly divide these kinds of, of, um, of things. But isn't that good to know that people could speak all kinds of negative things around you, and it is neither here nor there because there's a sovereign God. They could curse you, and it means nothing away from a sovereign God. When David was leaving um, in shame, going in exile, and Absalom had risen up against him, there was this man, Shimei, who was cursing David as he went, cursing him. And one of David's men said to David, so let me go and take the head off that dog. Let me go and kill him. And David said, no, leave him alone. 
he said, perhaps God is having him to curse me. And say, we just have to to grow in our conviction of the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign in every single thing. And yes, sometimes he does allow brothers to betray us, sell us into slavery. He does allow a person to falsely accuse and cause you to um, pay the punishment for something that you didn't do. But he's sovereign over all of that. When you read the account of Joseph, there's this regular refrain, but God was with him. After everything that bad happens, but God was with him. But God was with him. And so God is with us, and we just need to distance ourselves from superstition and um, from the belief that we can take the place of a sovereign God. We can't. We bow to him, and we trust him for whatever um, our Lord is. I don't know if it's because I recently turned 60, but um, I think about death more, and, and, and the truth is that death is the better portion for the believer. Anytime we think this life is to be held on to, we are absent-minded. We're making more of this life than we really should. Um, God has promised something far better for us.